This is an RNZ podcast. Politician reactions today, it's unlikely that's something that's going to happen. While the numbers here have dwindled today, there are still cars parked along the roads here blocking it. Wellington City Council tells me that they won't be ticketing or towing anyone. Instead, the message is for other members of the public to simply avoid the area. Imogen Tanakwe. That was News Hub's Imogen Wells during a live cross on 3 last Tuesday night, reporting on the protests that followed the anti-vaccine Convoy 2022 coalescing at Parliament. Now, wisely, she reported from a vantage point overlooking the crowd on the lawn, though, as you heard there, just one noisy and hostile protester who noticed she was on live and knew who she was reporting for was enough to make that pretty tricky. Her TVNZ counterpart, Kristen Hall, was supposed to be reporting live on One News at 6 at that same time from a Parliament building balcony, but she was moved by Parliament security staff at the last minute because her crew's presence there incited the crowd. And in the report Kristen Hall compiled earlier, it was pretty clear that even gathering a standard vox pop nearby could trigger the convoy contingent. I don't really think the spirit of most people here is, is violent protest. We I just... And the following day, the hostility directed at her went up a notch. For some people, you're still getting those really mixed messages. There was a woman at the protest today carrying a sign saying, love is the cure, but she was yelling up to me and some of the other uh, reporters up on the speaker's balcony that we're all going to get executed uh, for how we're reporting this situation. So certainly some very mixed messages still going on. Getting pretty sick of this sort of nonsense, Kristen Hall tweeted on Tuesday, and she's not the only one as we'll hear. But at the start, one of the protesters' persistent gripes with the media was that they had been ignored by them. And some even called News Talk ZB that night to say so, though the nighttime host Marcus Lush reckoned they may only have themselves to blame. But with people so dismissive to mainstream media, if you arrive there with a TV1 um, mic sock or whatever those things are called, um, or a TV3 one or an RNZ one or a News Talk ZB one, um, the people will probably abuse you. So that probably would affect some of the coverage, you're not going to get people say, oh, well, we're just a, it's a peaceful family, we're just up here doing this or that. People say, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, we don't trust you, we think you're um, in the government's back pocket, we think that you are spreading misinformation. The protesters were, of course, far from ignored by the media this week when they reached the capital, even though some said they were just a pale copy of the Canadian truckers' protest that's disrupting the capital there, and that this version didn't really deserve all the media attention that it got. But on Tuesday, Business Desk's founding editor Patrick Smilly disagreed. He said that while critics had belittled this as a clown convoy as it converged on the capital... Supporters lined the route in surprising numbers, waving placards in torrential rain. Given more than 9 out of 10 New Zealanders are vaccinated, this showing was impressive, and suggests more cohesion among the disparate range of alt-right conspiracy theorists and sincere, if misinformed, groups that underpin this activity. And Byron C. Clark, who monitors online extremism, reckoned that political elements working separately and without much impact in the election in 2020 seem to be working together this time. When tensions rose on Wednesday, after protesters were trespassed but stood their ground, Stuff began to live-stream the showdown on its live blog, prompting newsroom.co.nz journalist Sam Sashdaber to say this. There's public interest, of course, but I feel like providing an avenue for unfiltered misinformation from the protesters and speakers, albeit only semi-audible, is not ideal. 
And predictably, perhaps, simply saying that on social media then attracted a host of hostile replies from paranoid people accusing him of filtering the truth, working for the government or the forces of socialism, and so on. Last November, Parliament's grounds were also occupied by anti-vaxxers and people opposed to mandates, and also, in many cases, the media. Few people were really looking for trouble, but reporters were targeted. Uh, the classics that the media has been paid out by the government, that's a favourite line of theirs, uh, telling us that we are the virus, um, throwing uh, the tennis balls at us uh, and at the police um, from on the other side of the fence line. Something they could do. We've also had water thrown at us today, uh, anything. But they're not a fan of us. That's RNZ's Jake McKee reporting last November. Now, at the time, RNZ's news chief, Richard Sutherland, who was speaking as a deputy chair of the New Zealand Media Freedom Committee, told me this was no joke. I know it might seem trivial being um, bombarded with tennis balls while you're trying to cover a protest on the forecourt of Parliament, but put yourself in the position of of a reporter who's standing there in front of a, a sea of people, many of them accusing you personally of being uh, an enemy of the state, uh, a, a traitor, enemy of the people, and there's a baying mob there, and they're throwing things at you. Now, one of our reporters was struck in the head by a tennis ball. Now, um, you know, that could have caused serious injuries. Luckily, it didn't, but, you know, technically that's assault. Next time, those tennis balls could be rocks, said Richard Sutherland, or worse. Well, next time was this past week at Parliament, and there were, happily, no rocks, but still plenty of hostility and disrespect for reporters. But it was a different story last week at the building housing the Taranaki Daily News in New Plymouth, where one man was pursued through a secure door by some of an angry mob that had gathered in the foyer. And videos of that same encounter were aired by the US-based conspiracy platform Counterspin, with footage of ringleader Brett Power declaring they would be back and their job would be completed. Now the ringleaders of that crowd at the Taranaki Daily News in New Plymouth included two local councillors who also joined the convoy to Wellington, where Brett Power was one of three people arrested on Wednesday, led away screaming about media guilt. Dozens of police officers arrived at... And there was much, much more of that to come. On Thursday, the convoy refused to leave the Parliament grounds and arrests and scuffles went on all day in a standoff that the top cop on site called unprecedented in New Zealand. The Prime Minister tried to play it all down, saying that she'd seen a number of protests and this certainly wasn't the largest, but the owner of the pub across the road told Newshub he'd never seen a nastier one in over 30 years. Started calling us Nazis and just general abuse. So we've had forced shore and seabed marches, we've had every march you can imagine, and we've never been in that situation. And in his daily podcast, The Kaka, journalist Bernard Hickey reckoned it was the worst protest he'd seen anywhere in that time. Throwing eggs at students who are masked, abusing um, vaccinators in uh, chemists, uh, threatening to kill journalists and politicians, parading nooses around and placards that talk about killing and uh, uh, executing politicians and people, spitting at journalists, shoving reporters, scenes and things like I've never seen in 35 years of covering protests in 
Wellington, Auckland, Sydney, Canberra, not in Singapore, they don't do some protests in Singapore, uh, London, New York. It's been vitriolic. That was Bernard Hickey speaking on Thursday, and he reckoned it won't be the last time we see protests like this because the online misinformation that's motivating the protesters via their smartphones would only delude and radicalise them more and other people as well. And as if to make that point, many in the crowd were using their phones to watch and contribute to live coverage of the occupation of Parliament on the conspiracy-laden online outlet Counterspin. And where we go, phone cameras follow. The protest is broadcast on Counterspin. So how is Counterspin Media funded? It's funded by the people. This is a people's network. Is there any international backing for Counterspin Media? No, there's not, well, not, not that we know of. TVNZ's Krishna Norman reporting on One News last Friday, and she told TVNZ's viewers that some others involved in Parliament this week had a history of provocation. Calvin Alp was behind the New Zealand Armed Intervention Force, which threatened a series of attacks in Wellington in 2000. Twelve years on, he's still pushing his agenda. So when are you going to leave here? We're going to leave here when the job's done. Now, while some reports describe this whole thing as a leaderless mass of harmless hippies, Hare Krishnas and homeopathy believers on one side and angry anti-vax and even maybe incipient assassins on another, some journalists filtered the alternative online channels that the organisers and participants actually used. This weekend, Stuff's Charlie Mitchell boiled down hours of Counterspin's live output for a vivid vignette of what subscribers and supporters were actually viewing. And on newsroom.co.nz, senior political reporter Mark Dalder scraped the posts on encrypted messaging apps and other social media platforms to show how the convoy went from, in his words, a targeted protest about vaccine mandates to a vehicle for fringe and often violent extremist ideologies. Now, few of the protesters at Parliament were probably getting the benefit of those analyses, but on counterspin, Melvin Alp was taking note and taking names and hitting back darkly on the Counterspin live stream. So Mark Dolder, Byron C. Basement Dwelling Clark, we're about to expose you soon. We're going to show the funding lines. Anna Fifield is the editor of the Dominion Post in Wellington, published by Stuff. This week I asked her about Stuff's approach to covering the protest on her paper's patch and whether she was worried by what happened at the offices of their colleagues at the Taranaki Daily News. I was surprised to some extent that this was happening in New Zealand, but also not surprised at all because we have seen this steady uh, move towards yeah, going from hateful kind of speech and trying to intimidate journalists to people taking action. I mean, in my background in the United States has taught me not to be complacent about these kind of threats and kind of the, the power of the mob um, to wind each other up and to, to do this kind of thing. So, of course, I was very alarmed that these people were gathering in the lobby of this building. Um, but the fact is that they did not go to our newsroom. This was a, a big building with lots of tenants in it in New Plymouth, and they at no stage were any of our reporters or editorial staff or, or other staff at Stuff uh, in danger. I've seen footage on the Counterspin uh, online service, let's call it, which has Brett Power, who was the ringleader of that organisation. He was up the stairs peering through a window uh, saying, the journalists aren't here, they've run away, they've run, but they can't hide, they're not at their desks. So they were actually trying to find the journalists. And a few days later, we see Brett Power on national television, one of the first people to get arrested, screaming into TVNZ's cameras about media guilt. Uh, This is a worry, isn't it? If 
people who really hate the media for whatever misguided reason are prepared to hunt them out in your newsrooms in New Plymouth and then, um, you know, being arrested in a protest in Parliament just a few days later. Yeah, I mean, it does worry me a lot and we do take it really seriously. We've been staffing this protest from before dawn to well after dark every single day this week since it's happened. I always say to them, you know, safety first, story second, because it is very volatile. Um, but we're also balancing that, uh, you know, trying to keep our staff safe with reporting the story and doing our duty to the public. So every day it's a balancing act uh, that I'm trying to strike. That incident in New Plymouth, the Taranaki Daily News itself didn't make much of it. Uh, it reported that there were protesters in the lobby of their building, but in the context of what they were really doing was this kind of misguided attempt to arrest the health minister, Andrew Little, who's not even in New Plymouth, it turns out, at the time. But um, the, the paper itself just said the protesters entered the lobby of the building where the Taranaki Daily News is a tenant. Many in the crowd chanted in protest against the media before dispersing about 30 minutes after they arrived. There's no hint in that story that people were actually in the building trying to find and confront the paper's staff. Did, did staff deliberately downplay this incident? I don't think that we deliberately downplayed this incident. I think it's a really factual account of what happened uh, that, you know, no journalist or no staff, staff ever encountered any of these protesters. I think many of them were not even aware that these protesters were uh, in the lobby at that time. It was a relatively short period of time. So I don't think we downplayed it. I think that we reported it factually and soberly. In this kind of situation, you know, are we the story? I think the bigger picture is the story. Police and other people, you know, people trying to go to school or go to work uh, around Parliament grounds right now who are confronting these people. I think that's much more the story. Well, in that vein, uh, this is a 90% plus vaccinated society. The people at Parliament who we've seen who have been leading television news and, you know, on your front page for days now, um, they are clearly on the fringe and their beliefs, very fringe. Um, but obviously you as the editor of the paper where this is all playing out, can't ignore uh, what was happening, what they were saying, uh, and, and the kind of uh, performance, if you could put it like that, they were, they were putting on. But did you worry about whether all this was, you know, putting a lens on it really amplifies the messages that they're putting on, making it look like it might be more intense or more significant than it, than it really was? Absolutely, it's a balancing act and something I think about a lot. Uh, uh, we have a duty to report a relatively big protest on the grounds of Parliament that is disrupting our city. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people are having trouble driving around, getting to the train station. You know, many ministries have ordered their people to work from home as a result of this. So we do have a responsibility to report about uh, disruption of this scale in the capital. But I'm really conscious that we need to do it in a way that does not amplify their messages. As you say, they're very fringe, most entirely based on misinformation and disinformation. So we have been taking steps to make sure that we don't amplify their conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, we are careful in the way we crop photos. A lot of that live stream has been focused on the police and what they are doing to try to maintain security at Parliament. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we have a duty to cover it, but in a in a careful and sober way. And I hope we got that balance right this week. Yeah, I mean, in a way, watching that that raw footage does give it. You, you don't have to watch it for long to get a really uh, vivid picture of just how much the misinformation that uh, those folks have have had from whatever source has 
has really emotionally um, dug into them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been down to Parliament several times this week to to check on my team, but also I always try to get out there and get a sense of what's going on. I think we have, you know, it's a very small vocal minority, but I still do think it's incumbent on us to try to understand what is motivating the small group of people to take such extreme action. And so I, again, harking back to my background in the United States and thinking about the divisions and the tribalism and the us and them mentality that has riven that society and, and apart, I think, you know, we really need to try to understand what would motivate somebody to go down there and to take this kind of stand. Yeah, that's interesting because when the convoy was on its way to Wellington, there wasn't an awful lot of coverage. Indeed, some of the people behind it was, were claiming they were being ignored deliberately by um, the mainstream media. Uh, but, but of course, once they gathered in the capital, uh, it did get an awful lot of coverage. But do the media need to tell us a bit more about this movement, the people behind it, what the movement is and its, and its motivations are? We are trying to dig into this. Yes, I think it is incumbent on us to try to understand people as much as possible without amplifying their messages. But I would push back about the idea that we didn't cover the convoy. I think, uh, and so now that they are in the capital and are causing a lot of disruption, are affecting the running of parliament, uh, that we are now fully reporting on that. Has the media been a bit stumped by the fact that there are no high-profile supporters um, beyond a, 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 an ex-politician or two who might have vocalised a bit of support. And, um, you know, there is no one who will come forward and, and, and speak on behalf of the entire movement. Oh, I don't think it stumps us. I mean, going down there, I've seen, like, so many different signs. You know, there's the anti-mandate people, the anti-vax people, the anti-1080 people, the anti-three waters people, you know, it's kind of a magnet for anybody with a disaffection about something. So yeah, there's no clear, um, clear leader because there's not really one clear movement. I think it's just lots of people who are unhappy with the government. You said you'd been down there. Uh, if, if you went and introduced yourself to some of the people there, um, they would have said, sorry, you're Anna Who from the Dominion what? Uh, and it would be the same for me in RNZ. A lot of the people there are simply not absorbing mainstream media. So when they're hostile towards journalists or this concept of the media that they somehow think is corrupted, they're not really connected to it. That, that must make it harder for you and your reporters. Yeah, but I think about who is our audience for this? I think those people down there are never going to read stuff and, uh, or or take on board the kind of reports that we are producing here. I think our audience is the 99% of New Zealand who doesn't agree with them or doesn't is, is confused or bemused by what they're doing down there. So I would much, I'm much more thinking about how to explain this phenomenon to our audience. And so this week we have been reporting not about the substance of the protest so much, but like why this one is much more enduring than the others. You know, we covered the previous marches to Parliament led by Billy T. Kahika and things, but um, but this one has endured for four days now as we speak. So I'm much more interested in unraveling that uh, than than speaking to those people. Bernard Hickey, when he reflected on all this, said, look, this is this is going to happen again. We can see how these uh, protesters have been radicalised and clearly believe what the vast majority of society can recognise as misinformation. He even described it as a kind of existential threat to our national security 
and well-being. Do you think this is a sign of things to come, that protest crowds, particularly on uh, this big issue of, of COVID, this is becoming a kind of security issue and not just protest or resistance? I think Bernard's right in that we're going to see more and more protests like this and that this is a very small but very vocal movement. I think he's exaggerating though by saying that this is existential and yeah, that it's overblown to describe it in those terms. I think, yeah, that these people will not be um, persuaded or dissuaded by the facts or by the government response and they will continue to act in this way. Um, as an editor, of course, I'm worried about what that means for journalists. Uh, from a kind of nationwide point of view, I think that they are not really going to sway anybody. Like They will entrench their beliefs, um, but I doubt, very much doubt that they are going to persuade the wider public of the merits of their arguments, whatever they are. Um, and I, I mean, I really would like to note the way the officials have responded to this. I think they've been, like the police, the city council, have been really careful not to inflame the situation uh, you know they haven't gone in in a heavy-handed way in the way we've seen in other countries around the world because it has just antagonized people and and made the situation worse so I think the, the police in particular are really hoping that this will just peter out and um, the rain and the wind <laughs> and um, discomfort down there will will force people to go away. Yeah it's funny because some people have pointed out that what on earth will happen if these people do get their hands on a politician. And in fact, this has actually happened, hasn't it? Already James Shaw, um, you know, a couple of blocks away from where I'm sitting right now at Radio New Zealand, was uh, assaulted by uh, on his way to Parliament by a guy shouting stuff about the United Nations. So, so perhaps we shouldn't be that surprised there's a, a media or a society. Yeah, I mean, that was a real warning, what happened to James Shaw at that time. And I know that the MPs and parliamentary staffers who have taken a lot of security measures, they've been escorted to their transport. Um, Nicola Willis told us how she's leaving her marked you know, car at home and the kind of things she's doing to protect herself there. So, yeah, I think the threat is really real to uh, civil servants, to parliamentarians, to the media. You know, we need to take steps to protect ourselves uh, in this situation. And just finally, out of interest, what was the response of Don Post readers? What's a, a flavour of what they were saying? Were they sending in letters to the editor saying, you know, that they wanted these people, you know, dispatched, pepper sprayed, <laughs> tear gassed out of out of town? What's the general vibe of, of how your audience was responding to what they'd seen both out on the streets and in the Don Post itself? Right, yeah. My, I mean, my inbox is a very colourful place. Uh, I've had the full spectrum of responses from people emailing in, you know, taking issue with us calling them anti-vaxxers, not anti-mandate, when in fact I went back and checked, we've always called them anti-mandate. Uh, people alleging police brutality, people, um, you know, saying very uh, hateful things about our reporters and our reporting, but then also a lot of people saying, why isn't the council coming in and ticketing, towing everybody away? Why isn't the police acting? So the full spectrum of responses that has come in, and we some of that does play out on the letters pages, sometimes in the comments on stories and things, but um, yeah, I think that it's a, a broad spectrum of people. Of course, the dissenters, the people who think that we're not being fair, the, the well, the, probably the people who are down at the protests, um, they their voices 
is quite shrill and they do uh, email in a lot about the coverage, not broadcasting their messages and things like that, or they think portraying them unfairly. Anna Fifield is the editor of the Capital's daily paper, The Dominion Post.